right, we are back after a sickness-induced hiatus. This is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca, and I use she, they pronouns. And I am here with my also fully healed co-host, Kelsey. Hello, my name is Kelsey. I also use she, they pronouns. Perfect. And we have a returning guest, our first returning guest, the amazing Dr. Christopher Wells. Pleasure to be with you. And uh, I use he, him pronouns. Perfect. So we have had a couple of requests for today's topic. Um, some of our youth have wanted us to talk about homophobia and transphobia in schools. And we thought, who better than to talk to you? Um, so yeah, we have kind of like we mentioned when we were talking about this episode, we have some youth and some parents who are just kind of wondering how to deal with it, how to deal with uh, you know, teachers and administration who aren't particularly helpful or who are part of the problem, um, or even teachers and admins wanting to know what they can do better. Yeah, it's a, that's a that's a big uh, a big topic. Um, you know, I think first and foremost is is listening to uh, young people that they're the experts in their own lives and uh, they know the solutions that uh, they need and really our job as adults is to help to amplify their voices and ensure that they have you know safe welcoming respectful uh, school environments you know let's let's face it if if uh, your family's not a, a safe or supportive environment you know you often turn to your school and if your school's not a supportive environment you know it's like two of the most important, institutions in your lives have failed you. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we see, um, uh, you know, too often an overrepresentation of LGBTQ2 plus young people involved um, in homelessness or precarious housing or street involved um, because they've been, uh, you know, they, they've been uh, pushed out or they, they, they tune out or they drop out of these non-supportive uh, environments. And you know, the, the biggest pathway out of poverty is education. So when we're not supporting young people to achieve their education, and then, right, if you don't have a good K-12 to experience, well, are you likely to go on to post-secondary? Yeah. And, and um, probably not, mm -hmm. right? And so it becomes really important that we're supporting these positive sort of pathways and trajectories and no young person should just simply have to go to school and survive. It should be a place where they're encouraged to, uh, you know, thrive, be themselves fully, completely, you know, live uh, authentically and proudly. You know, that's always the goal. We want schools to be affirming uh, environments. It, 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 it's not, uh, you know, helpful if you have to go to school and you have to feel like you have to hide who you are. Uh, and that said, right, everybody's journey is differently and, and you know, no one can tell a young person, you know, that when they should come out or, or how they should come out. Sure, we have some, you know, recommendations, uh, you know, like um, uh, and same, you know, with somebody who's transitioning, uh, you know, in schools. So we know, unfortunately, schools are still hostile places that homophobia, biphobia and transphobia are still very significant problems so the real question is right like what can the adults do what can you know uh, they're in the positions of responsibility and authority and, and when I, I was teaching undergraduate education students um, and who are becoming training to become classroom teachers you know I really said it, it 
for me, it all comes down to one question to ask yourself. You know, you have this awesome responsibility when you're a classroom teacher. You might not be able to control what happens in the hallways or on the playground or, you know, in the classroom next to you, but you get to control what happens in your classroom. So, you know, for every student who walks through your classroom doors, just ask this, this one question, say to yourself, will this be a humanizing or a dehumanizing experience for them? And that will guide everything that you do, right? And, and that's across the board. That's just not for, you know, LGBTQ2S plus students, but that's for racialized students, that's for Indigenous students, that's for, you know, all of our students. Everyone should have a humanizing experience and they should be able to see themselves you know, reflected in the classroom, not afraid to be themselves. And the challenge, right, is, is on the teachers to create those environments. It shouldn't be on the backs of the students. And that means teachers will have to educate themselves, go out of their comfort zone. I, I gave the reality to the student teachers that I work with. Look, it's easy for me as a white cisgender male to be there for other white cisgender male students because that's my lived reality. I understand their experience. But it's a lot harder for me, and this is actually where I'm, I'm going to grow, not only as a professional, but as a person, to be there for those students who are different than I am, right? And that means I have to, you know, go, stretch out of my comfort zone. It means I have to be proactive in my learning, where we, we talk a lot about what it means to be an ally. And yeah, you're not going to get it perfect all of the time, but, you know, students will give you a lot of space and room and if you try and and you listen to them and and they'll help to educate you on what they need to you know feel included and supported in the classroom because it could all start with that one teacher that what we call that one trusted adult every young person needs at least one trusted adult in their lives that they can reach out to and and hopefully it's their parents but sometimes it's it's not uh, but it could be right the classroom teacher. It could be the school custodian. It could be the bus driver. It could be someone out in the community. It could be your, you know, your church leader. It could be your sports coach. We just never know. But you know, the more trusted adults in the lives of young people, the more supports and connections they have. And and I would always say, you know, whether I was working with with students in schools or LGBTQ youth in the community, I would say right. Um, I can't help you, right, if, if I don't know what the problem is, right? So we want to help young people move from internalizing to externalizing, to reaching out to those trusted adults, those safe contacts, to their supportive peers. You know, and we're not always going to have the answers, but we can actively listen. We can show that you don't have to go through these experiences alone. But if we don't know about it, right, you keep it you know, inside. And, and so I would say there's no issue too big, no issue too small, but, um, you know, let's talk about it. And, and you're still going to hold the power to be able to make those decisions. And, you know, the only time I would say to young people, and this was really, you know, important for them to know, there are only two times that I have to violate, you know, your confidentiality, uh, legally harm to self, harm to others. Mm -hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. and even in those cases, I'm not going to have to disclose your sexual orientation or your gender identity, but I'm going to have to have a duty to report, to reach out and make sure that, you know, appropriate supports are, are in place. So I always wanted young people to know I'm, you know, we're absolutely always going to protect your, your confidentiality, but um, we want to, we want to support you because we know too often youth, when they internalize, they turn to those negative coping mechanisms, right? Um, absolutely. 
drugs and alcohol to numb the pain. I don't want to have to feel this. I don't want to have to, to think about it or, or, you know, other, um, you know, sometimes negative coping mechanisms all the way, right, unfortunately, to uh, suicide ideation, we still know that that this community of young people have, uh, you know, an overrepresentation when it comes to um, suicide. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of that is internalizing those negative messages, right, and that internalized homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, the internalized shame and uh, stigmatization, you know, as well. So, so much of that comes back to the environments young people find themselves in, right? And mm-hmm. supportive family environments, supportive school environments, supportive community environments, which is, you know, why the work of Out Loud and other groups is so right important. You can't be in there in the classroom, but you can ensure that those spaces are being created out in the community that can be you know, um, as powerful and, uh, you know, as uh, important. And you can stand beside these young people as they're advocating, you know, for their basic human rights to be respected, to belong, to be safe. And it's it's like that hierarchy of needs, right? When you don't feel safe, how are you expected to learn, right? Exactly. Safety has to be. And, and unfortunately, sometimes schools have it the wrong way, right? Like the creation of safe environments is not the responsibility of students. It's the response, the legal responsibility of the schools. And you can't tell kids to tone it down or to be less flamboyant, or if you didn't act this way, this wouldn't happen to you, right? That puts it the, the responsibility and the stigma back on them, right? They're not the problem, right? They're beautiful just the way they are. It's the non-supportive environments that are the problem. And that's really what we need to, you know, think about and to focus on when we're, we're talking about, you know, um, addressing addressing the problem, providing the solutions. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so much of that means things we've talked about, right? Supporting inclusive policies in schools, setting the direction and doing the professional development and the training. So those teachers can create, you know, those safe, inclusive classrooms, uh, you know, addressing the homophobia, biphobia and transphobia that occurs in the hallways on the playgrounds or online or, you know, on the bus. uh, and, uh, you know, importantly, ensuring that there's there's curriculum, right? And the curriculum that young people see themselves included, I say the halls and the walls, right? And the, and the, and the textbooks and the discussions, right? In the mm-hmm. classroom, in non-stigmatizing, authentic, uh, affirming kind, kinds of ways. And what kind of um, advice would you give for teachers who maybe don't have the most cooperative um, administration? Uh, say the principal or the school board is not on the side of these kids, you know, hypothetically. <laughs> uh, but for teachers yeah. who want to make their space safe but are fighting that. Yeah, it, it's tough, right? Because also, right, teachers at different ages and stages of their careers have different vulnerabilities. So if you're a brand new beginning teacher in your first couple of years, or a substitute teacher, you're just trying to, you know, get a continuous contract tracked in a role. So you don't want to be seen, right, as, as um, they don't have to give a reason why they don't renew you or call you as a substitute teacher, right? You just disappear. And uh, we know that oftentimes that's the subtle effects of that, you know, the, the, the quiet, uh, the invisible homophobia, biphobia, transphobia. But, you know, the first thing I, I, I do is we got to start in our pre-service education programs, you know, equipping teachers with the knowledge and the tools. So by the time that they walk into those classrooms, they already, you know, have knowledge of what it means to be an ally, what kind of resources are available in the community. 
But I, I would say if any teachers first and foremost having a problem, uh, go call the Alberta Teachers Association and get that professional advice. They're there for you. And they have our, you know, our Teachers Association in Alberta has, is one of the best in the country, if not the world, in terms of the resources and the policies that it has in place to support, you know, in, uh, LGBTQ plus inclusive education. So, so start there, right? You know, they're there to protect you. They're there to support you. Um, but I would say check, you know, does your school have a standalone sexual orientation, gender identity and expression policy? Um, and thankfully, schools, at least, you know, like St. Albert Public uh, has those policies. It was one of the early adopters on having those policies. So, you know, refer to the policy, right? Like, and schools have to account to their policy, their school administrators, the school board uh, as well, and, you know, know the law. So, for example, if your school doesn't have a policy, Alberta has, a, you know, a, a GSA legislation as well that would, uh, you know, provide certain rights and protections. Um, although, you know, we saw the UCP government strip some of that away, but it's still there and it's still important, you know, your human rights legislation uh, as well. But, um, you know, reach out, find those supports. If those supports for educators are not in their school, reach out to them in the community. I, I often get uh, many emails and phone calls from, from teachers who are, are looking for strategies and ways. I'm always happy to chat with them. There are others who are you know, good organizations, all view the Pride Center, you know, out loud and, and others that will be there to support you. So you're not, you're not, you know, you're not alone that, you know, you're always, if, if you, if you're operating from always wanting to do the right thing, um, you know, hold on to that as your, as your moral kind of uh, compass. But we do know that, right, there's politics, there's relationships of power that we also uh, need to consider. And, but at, at the end of the day, right, Despite, you know, um, what is happening elsewhere, you can make sure that in your relationships, in your classroom, that they're safe and they're supportive. Nobody can prevent you from doing that, right? Doing that one-on-one -on -one kind of work, even if, you know, um, there are issues elsewhere uh, in the school or, or, or in the larger environment. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, totally. That's like, you know, it's so interesting because you were just talking about like, kids getting like the how it contributes to houselessness and stuff like that and we talked to um an, a professional yesterday that's trying to support a kiddo who recently came out of the closet and has been removed from their home kicked out um and like what do you like as a teacher that would be a pretty tricky place to kind of be in you know like what kind of advice like what do you what do you say yeah. what do you do like kind of how do you balance being stuck in that position where you only see them Monday to Friday, 830 to three, and you know that they might not have the safest place to go home to? Yeah, right. And, and but but know that 830 to three, they have one place where they feel validated and supportive and, and never underestimate how important that is. Yeah. That, again, that one trusted adult, that that one safe adult. And then it, it's about trying to, in that case, like, you know, work with your your school counseling uh, group trying to connect to community resources, but also, you know, with, with families, we want, we, we can't forget that when we're working, when kids are coming out and, and uh, families are also going through their own process and, and, and coming to terms with what that may mean. And we have to work with families to move from rejecting to, um, you know, uh, accepting behaviors. Ultimately, we'd like to get them to celebrate their children for the gifts that they are, but it's very much a continuum, right? 
And that's where we need those families also to have the professional support and the counseling, because, you know, that family relationship is just so, so critical. So, you know, what we can do is if even we can get the families to a place of tolerating, and I, and I absolutely hate that word tolerating, mm -hmm. right, putting up with their LGBTQ children until they're in a, in a space of safety where they could, where they can graduate and grow and move out, right? Like, mm -hmm. Um, you know, that that's critical uh, as well. But again, starting with the young person, right? We don't want to be doing things that the young person doesn't support or that can make their life, you know, more difficult and challenging. So often working alongside them, developing a plan, right? A safety plan. Okay, if this happens, what are the supports that can be put into place to support you? What are the supportive uh, organizations and agencies? And sometimes that means, you know, us walking them over, making those introductions and um, you know, standing alongside them, right? It, it, we want to make sure that um, um, we're, we're trying to open supportive uh, doorways. We can't make them walk through the doorways, right, if they don't want to, yeah. but we can make try to, uh, you know, eliminate some of the challenges of the system navigating and, and finding those affirming connections mm -hmm. uh, and supports. That's why, you know, again, organizations like uh, OutLoud and others that, uh, you know, might know who those supportive people are in different agencies are, are critical, right? Because we know too often when young people uh, start knocking on doors, right? And they find out the, the people behind those doors are not supportive, well, they're not going to keep knocking, right? And so we, we always sort of say in the sort of the human services, the social services, child services, um, you know, industry, that the first door needs to be the right door, because the vulnerable youth are, are you know, um, they're going to keep questioning then why well, I tried to reach out, but it wasn't safe and supportive. So, you know, it's going to be, well, the assumption is that the next person's going to be the same. Right. And, and, and again, it takes a lot of courage for anybody to reach out and ask for help and support. Right. And then if you do that and, and you, you meet, right. A, a homophobic or transphobic or just an, a neutral or non, you know, uh, supportive response, then are you really going to keep reaching out? Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, um, why we often say it's a lot harder to prevent to get a kid off the street than to prevent them from being on the street in the first place. Right. And that's really where the, the major social institutions need to step up. But I guess for me, the real important part is we have to remember that we also need to be working with these non-supportive families as much as we can. And it's always the best to try to keep young people at home when the environments can be safe and supportive and and sometimes, you know, this is the important uh, importance of groups like PFLAG and the parents groups that all of you offer is sometimes parents need to hear from other parents who've gone through similar things, right? And just need that open space, you know, non-judgmental space to talk about their feelings and 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 just rem the big reminder, right? It's sometimes the kids forget this too, that, you know, you're so focused on when they're coming out, but you know, they might have had a, a quite a while to think about this and be ready, you know, to come out on it. And, um, you know, that might be new and surprising to their parents who also then need some time to be able to process and, and, and educating and giving parents the tools, right? We know sometimes it can be a, a challenge for parents of trans or non-binary youth who may be asking to be, you know, referred to by a chosen name instead of their birth name. And that birth name can have a lot of significance to their parents, why they chose that. And, 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 you know, but also parents need to know that, right. It's important as far part of being affirming and inclusive to use those names that, um, you know, their youth are requesting, their children are requesting, 
But, you know, parents need a space maybe to talk about that, right? And it, you can't have that conversation maybe with your child, uh, but to talk about, you know, the, the, you know the, the emotional challenge for them of, of doing that. Oftentimes, you know, they feel like, you know, they're losing a child that they raise, but we have to always remind them that, but, you know, you've got to be there for the child in front of you. And Absolutely. You might be losing a child, but you're also gaining, gaining a happier and healthier one. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, but again, that's really why that, you know, those professional supports really need to be put into place. Um, in some cases, actually, as the kids come out, we try to put more supports into the parents, right. Cause the, the kids are okay. They've got their often their peer supports and, and, and hopefully at school, uh, uh, but sometimes the parents are the ones who feel the most isolated and alone. And, um, you know, we have to remind them to, you need, you know, you need to, to, to love your child unconditionally. Cause you know, um, I've spoken to a lot of parents and sometimes, you know, very hostile parents and, and my message is always the same, right? Love your child for who they are, or you're going to lose them, right? They're going to, they're going to have an alienated relationship with you for the rest of their lives. They're going to leave home as soon as they can, or, you know, uh, unfortunately, and sometimes tragically, they're going to take their own life, right? Mm -hmm. And really, um, you know, that the quality of that relationship is largely up to you as the parent, right? Um, um, how would you kind of, those more hostile parents, because with PFLAG, um, it's parents who want to learn or want to be there for their children. So what about those parents that are a little bit more hostile? How do you kind of get them even through the door to start that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, one parent might be, you know, somewhat more supportive than the other. Um, and so sometimes, you know, you, uh, or in cases where there are multiple parents or blended families or, or things like that. Right. So, you know, you're uh, you might be having to have different kind of strategies and approaches and sometimes, you know, it's as simple as, uh, you know, kids who are ready to come out have made sure that, you know, they've gotten books for their parents, right? Like to read and, and almost like a coming out gift. I'm coming out now, read the, this book. Right? <laughs> like, I'm just going to, yeah. I'm just going to leave this with you over here and, uh, you know, and yeah. come back. Have you read the book? And, and sometimes, you know, one of the worst things is right. Kids will come out and then they'll just met with complete silence by their parents. Right. Which is, is maybe, you know, that um, they're, they're not intending anything by that silence, but that silence sometimes can uh, set a negative tone, right? Like you don't want to talk about me, you, you know, you're ashamed of me or, or things like that. But, you know, often really trying to connect those parents to, you know, supportive counselors. So having a list of supportive counselors that they could go and see, and, and sometimes just encouraging them to get to that sort of first visit, um, you know, because oftentimes even in, 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 you know, uh, professional communities, often like St. Albert is it, it can be parents are worried about like, okay, what, what now, what are my neighbors going to think, or uh, have I failed as a parent or extended family members, or, you know, even my coworkers, um, you know, I remember working with one dad who was, you know, um, involved in a, in a major, you know, oil and gas corporation. And he was worried as, as you know, he wanted to be support his trans child, but he was worried what the, the people in the corporate boardroom were going to think, yeah. right? Because it was a very conservative kind of culture. And I said, you know what? You know what? I think they're going to th they're going to think. I think they're going to say you're one hell of a parent is for supporting your child and standing alongside your child, and that's only going to bring you more respect in the workplace than less because you're willing to do anything for your child, right? 
And um, that speaks to your character as a person and as a leader. Uh, but there was still just this fear, right? And it, mm-hmm. fear isn't always rational, um, you know, with that. So, you know, connecting parents to resources, sometimes it's supportive websites or even videos that they could watch on the, on their own. Um, but ideally, I'm always about trying to get them to those professional counselors who, right, are trained to be active listeners and, and understand, you know, that very much this is a, is a process that needs working through. And part of the challenge is, of course, when you, you add layers of um, religion that's not supportive or you come from maybe, let's say, particular ethnocultural backgrounds, that have not been traditionally supportive, right? Let's face the reality. There's still 70 plus countries in the world where being LGBTQ is a crime and several where it's punishable by death. And, and again, mm-hmm. those are the, those are the environments uh, that, you know, we really want, we pay attention to because we know that for LGBTQ youth, all of their risk factors get amplified because you're know, dealing with sort of layers of, um, of um, you know, often negativity or even hostility that, have to be worked with and, and sometimes right the, the community or the cultural supports are not there so you know in the case of faith trying to find faith inclusive resources thankfully there are more and more of those that are happening affirming congregations fortunate to have some of those in St. Albert and and other places to be able to connect and sometimes just trying to find you know those supportive people within those you know, communities can be really important to, even if it's just quietly connecting them, you know, to have a conversation with those people, because, right, they'll often listen to them a lot more because they're part of their communities, right, as that they identify with rather than, you know, someone like me or, or others who are out coming from the outside, right, and you get yeah. closed off saying, well, you don't, you don't understand, right, our reality or our community, and, you know, fair, fair point, right, but, you know, um, that's where we also need the allies and the people within these communities to come uh, be visible, right? And help to, you know, we can't we can't change these communities from the outside. They have to change from within the inside. So we can stand alongside those people to help to give them the tools, but they're the ones at those tables having those important conversations. Totally. So, you know, these are these are all complex issues without simple, you know, uh, and answers, yeah. Right? <laughs> Yeah, but very much a process. But, you know, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic that we are seeing change, right, in society. Mm -hmm. But, you know, particularly in the school environment, I would say we have a lot more work to do. You know, we've done a lot of research now in school environments. And over the past decade, you know, the reality is the school environments have not changed that much. They're still hostile spaces. You know, the single best thing that's probably happened in the best decade is the you know the rise of gay straight alliances and that's because they're often student-led but those have if we're looking at one major success story in Canadian education it is the the prevalence and the rise of gay straight alliances in our schools seeing more in Catholic schools even in Christian schools and many public schools now the reality is there are more GSAs in schools than not all right and so that's huge because they provide that you know, that's important safe space, that space for connection, the space for teacher allies to be able to step forward and be visible and identified for, for students to know that they're, they're not alone. Um, so, you know, we need, to, we need to keep moving forward with GSAs, make sure that there, you know, still lots of work to do to make sure that they're more, you know, trans and non-binary inclusive and more inclusive in, of two-spirit Indigenous youth, racialized youth as well. Um, 
you know, so we've got a, a lot of work still to do at the, as we've learned right around the intersections totally. and the, and the connections. Um, and, um, we, you know, and then moving outward, right. Still lots of work to do around, um, school policies and, and then arguably, which I would say again, is the, probably the most important piece. And the one we're, we're, we're struggling with also the most in Alberta is curriculum, right? The fact that all this new curriculum that's being introduced, um, none of it is LGBTQ inclusive. It's as though, right, LGBTQ individuals have been completely written out of our, our classrooms and our textbooks and our history books. And for LGBTQ youth, it's so important, to, again, to see themselves positively and, uh, you know, uh, affirmatively uh, represented um, and the diversity of representation, right? Not just all cisgender, gay, white, um, you know, uh, uh, images, but, um, you know, uh, particularly our, when we're talking about indigenous issues, are we talking about two-spirit issues and, and you know, and, and understanding our, that LGBTQ to people exist in every culture, every faith, every, a community in the world. And as I like to remind, you know, particularly principals sometimes, just because you can't see them in your school environment doesn't mean they're, they're, they're not there. In fact, it's the opposite. The more visible and vocal um, your LGBTQ youth are and other minority students, um, um, the, the, the chances are that uh, the more uh, safe, inclusive and supportive environment you've created. Because, right, there's this dynamic between visibility and safety. Oh, for so sure. Young, young people feel safe and included, they're more likely to be visible. And that's actually the sign of a very healthy and vibrant school culture, or as we're talking about, community culture as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can measure the, the, health, the health and well-being of your school environment by how visible and vocal your most vulnerable students are. And that's the frame that, that we need our administrators and our school board trustees to continually ask themselves, right? Because equity means we're not doing everything the same. Equity means we're seeing difference, we're seeing people's identities, and then we're targeting the resources to give them the same equality of opportunities as everybody else, right? You can't have equality without equity. Um, we often say that equity is the process, equality is the outcome. And, and that means yeah. we've got to do things differently. And for school boards and, and educational leaders, that means if we're doing things differently, we also have to um, put more resources into um, you know, these areas because they've, uh, they've been uh, underfunded or undersupported for so long, right? That we need dedicated resources and work to lift those voices up so that they have those same opportunities and experiences as everyone else, which also speaks to the importance of us being able to collect more inclusive data, right? Like yeah. um, so we can actually measure to see how well these interventions are doing. And, and, but again, if we're not asking the right questions, we're never gonna get the right data. So we also can't be afraid to ask students to self-identify their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Um, and uh, so that we can, you know, track and measure how well they're doing compared to, you know, other groups and compared to their, to their peers. And data is also oh. a good way to hold, right, school boards uh, accountable. So, um, you know, those are, those are things that we can be advocating for uh, as well. Because, you know, those aren't the sexy things or the, you know, the highly visible things. 
but data, yeah. right? Data is important for us over, you know, the long term. And that's where I was saying, like, over this past 10 years of looking at Canadian schools, we've been able to track the data and measure how well, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how, how, how are the environments changing, you know? Um, and as I said, you know, there, there's still a lot of real challenges that haven't shifted despite, you know, introductions here and there of policy and, and, and more visibility and awareness. So um, we've got to really um, revisit and ask, right? Is what we're doing actually working? Or do we need to change, you know, our approaches? Yeah, we love data. <laughs> it's true. Oh, my, okay. So I have one more question on behalf of the youth. One of the things that we get asked all the time is what do you say to the people that are using the slur that's so gay? Yeah, right. And 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 it's a great question because people say, well, like who uses that? Is that a, still a thing? And, yes. and yeah, absolutely. It is. It is a so maybe the more direct derogatory, um, you know, language like, you know, fag, queer, dyke is, uh, is, is, um, you know, not as prevalent, although it's still prevalent, but you know, this is, these are the examples of what we call casual homophobia, right? They're not the overt direct, maybe in your face, but they have, um, you know, the, uh, similar kinds of effects. They, um, uh, others from an academic perspective would call them microaggressions because they create an environment, a poisoned environment uh, where people don't feel safe, where they don't feel that they can bring themselves fully, right? That there's something wrong, still inherently wrong with being an LGBTQ2 plus person. So um, number one is particularly for educators is um, as I like to remind them, right? Um, youth are looking for you. You set an example. So every time you let that go, you're telling uh, with your silence that you're not a safe person for LGBTQ youth to reach out to, right? And that might not even be your intention, but that's the results of your action. Silence signals mm -hmm. consent in the act of discrimination. So, and then I get the response, well, you know, if, um, you know, if all I did was intervene in that language, we'd have time for nothing else. Well, now imagine that what that statement says, right? Like, well, you've got a real culture problem then, number one, if that's so ubiquitous that, you know, you feel you can't address it um, because it's everywhere. Uh -huh. But number two, you're also just absolving yourself of the responsibility. You're the adult, you're the leader, and you have the responsibility, right? In, and again, you might not be able to control what happens in the class, uh, in the hallway or in the, the playground, um, right? Or in the gymnasium, or in the bathrooms, but you can control what happens in your classroom where students know the moment they come into your classroom, that language is not ever acceptable, right? And that can be maybe the one safe space in that school where, where a kid comes and he, he or she or they know that um, uh, I'm not, it's a refuge. This will be the one place where at least I don't have to be barraged with that kind of language. Because over time, it's like a th death by a thousand little cuts. Right. It has this cumulative kind of effect every time you hear it and the adults or your peers around you uh, don't do anything about it. Right. It, it just sends this negative message. There's something wrong with your identity or there's something wrong about belonging to that community. And in fact, it prevents young people from coming out because it creates this, you know, negative, toxic environment. So, you know, absolutely, we should be addressing that the same way we would address full stop 
any derogatory language or any uh, language or behavior that's designed to demean, to diminish or put someone else down is simply not acceptable. Doesn't matter who it's targeting, right? And then stop, have that conversation with the student, with the classroom where it's appropriate and use it as a teachable moment. Why don't we use that language here? You know, we're even seeing people, you know, a change in sports and, and, and it's right important that yeah, at the end of the day too, through the school kind of policies that we have, that the policies are clear that these kinds of languages are, are not appropriate and there are consequences, right, for, for using this, right? If you've been told it's not appropriate and you don't stop, well, then you need to be faced, you know, ready to be faced the consequences. And, and, and that's often where teachers also want then the support of their administration, right? And, and others, mm -hmm. you know, to have their backs, right? If I'm gonna do this and create this environment in the classroom, I wanna know that my administrators and my school board are gonna stand behind me. Because, you know, the reality is sometimes, unfortunately, young people who use this language, they're often learning it, that it's acceptable at home right or in other other spaces so they're modeling mm -hmm. and so sometimes right when you you intervene with that student uh the parents are going to object because they don't see anything wrong with that right <laughs> yeah. and that might be fine right this is this is, we have to face these realities that that might be fine but that's your home right what you do at home is not the same as the behavior that we accept at school and so you know you need to be able to draw those lines because when the moment you're at school you're stepping into a community and in a community everyone needs to have space to belong and to be accepted. And unfortunately, right, we'd like to think the same thing would happen with families, but we know that that's unfortunately not the reality, but right, schools are different spaces. Schools have different responsibilities. 100%. I love the focus. I love the focus on the adults, right? Because we always, we hear all of these kids that come into our group and they're like, oh, I'm fighting this battle. I'm fighting this battle. What do I do? And it's like, I like that you're, we're constantly shifting it back to what you can do as an adult, because, you know, going to school as a 13, 14, 15 year old, like you don't always like that. Your focus shouldn't be on making the school safe for everybody. Your focus should be on learning. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Right. And sort of too often, right. We have the, the onus and the responsibility the, the wrong way. And, you know, uh, and it, it takes, as I said, a, a, you know, a tremendous amount of, of courage, um, for young people to be able to speak speak out right truth to power and and you can be slapped back down and um you're vulnerable and now now imagine right uh thankfully we have so many amazing strong brilliant youth advocates right but at what risk and consequence what have they had to overcome to do that and and these are incredible you know skills that they're learning that will apply to so many areas of their lives but Again, at the end of the day, right, that responsibility shouldn't be there. They they should be focused on, right, like being those GSA leaders, right, and working alongside the adults to develop plans, you know, in their schools for educational opportunities, you know, events, bringing in guest speakers from community, um, you know, really showcasing and celebrating, right, the diversity that exists in your school environment, um, you know, um, partnering with other student groups and clubs to show that we're all in this together, right? Homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia are just not problems for LGBTQ2S plus youth. They're problems for everybody, right? Yeah. And we all need to come together because too often, right, we, we marginalize and say, oh, that's only impacts this, you know, one community. And, and people say, oh, it's only a small community. So we really don't have to pay attention to it. 
Um, but no, it's actually wrong. It impacts everybody because it creates right uh, a, a message that says human rights are not valued here. They're not respected here. And who's going to be right? Who's going to be targeted? You know, next. Well, that's the thing, right? I remember going to school. And I remember one day, I think it was in grade four or five, and there the teacher had a stat on how many people in Canada were gay. It was like, you know, one in 10 or 1.5, something like that. And so we all kind of looked around the class, like, all right, this is the class of 25. There's two and a half of you. And then it became a witch hunt. Yeah. And like, based on the most ridiculous things, like if you looked at your fingernails, like with the back of your hand, like straight like that, like girls were supposed to look at that. So if you're a boy and you looked at your fingernails like that, you were gay. And if you're a girl and looked at like- cross your legs when you sit exactly. down, right? Yeah, and it was this yeah. really yeah. unsafe thing. And the implication was that if you were found to be gay, then you would be ostracized, right? And so these things, yeah, affect everybody and they need to be addressed. Cause I remember the teacher being like, okay, like calm down. This can wait till recess. It's like, no. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and it's been said that, you know, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, yeah, are weapons of sexism and misogyny, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and we need, really need to see the connections. And when we get into these, what we would often call, right, this, these toxic masculinity um, and the way to, you know, unfortunately to prove one's masculinity is often to assert one's dominance and heterosexuality, right, together, right, as the... Yeah, and we have to break that apart because what happens is masculinity and and particular forms of of, of femininities um, imprison young people, right? And they they get put into these uh, you know gender straitjackets, and and they feel they can't enter pursuits that they might love and be very passionate about because they're going to be teased, ridiculed, or bullied for not performing their quote unquote gender or their identity, right? correctly so they're all really you know intertwined together which you know makes it difficult to change the culture because as i tell school principals yeah absolutely you're you need to remember that you're responsible for school culture as the leader and school culture is not going to change with one policy um you know school culture changes with thousands of tiny micro practices over time right and that's very intimidating to think like how are we possibly going to do that right uh, but, you know, it speaks to commitment, commitment over time and passion and providing the professional development, providing the tools, providing the opportunity, you know, to engage in these discussions, engage in the learning. And, you know, you're not going to get it right every time. You're not going to get it right, but you're going to be moving forward on the journey, right? And keeping that in, in mind. Amazing. Yeah. Is there anything wow. else that you kind of wanted to say that we haven't touched on? Um, you know, no, I, I just think I, I like to always focus on on the big four, which I call so, you know, we've talked about these as being, uh, you know, inclusive curriculum and 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 the importance of then uh, ensuring that, you know, if we have curriculum, then talking about LGBTQ issues is not, you know, an option or something that only allies do, but is something that everyone does in the classroom and everyone learns about. Because let's face the reality, right? Pre prejudice flourishes in ignorance, right? And so if you want to, uh, you know, you know um, uh, remove prejudice and, and reduce discrimination, then it all starts with education, getting to know and learn about people who are different than you, right? And so much of it is about that empathy 
And again, about that humanization, right? I can understand those experiences that other people have gone through that they're similar to my my experiences. So, you know, that becomes really critical in, in the classroom. And then um, uh, supportive uh, teachers and staff, right? So identifying who the allies are and putting the professional development, high quality professional development, um, you know, in the school. And this is thing that school boards and educational leaders can can do, right? You want to backstop your teachers. And the way to do that is to help train and educate them and then um, support them to do the work, right? Authorize them. When you're bringing in the training, you're telling them, like I, I always used to say, when I go into a school and do professional development, I always tell them, well, my job's half done because first of all, I know how precious professional development time is. And your school leaders are now dedicating a portion of that precious time uh, with resources to say that this is important. And when they're saying that this is important, they're also authorizing you to now go out and do the work, right? And you've had the professional development training, now go action it in your classroom, right, as well. So, you know, bringing in those professional development. Now, there's no excuse anymore because there are more and more groups and organizations like yours and others and, and experts out there that are willing to come into your school, right, and work with your teachers, Um and ideally, right, that happens over a continued period of time. It's just not a one-off, right? One hour and, and <laughs> we had some PD, there we are, we're done, right? No, yeah. it's a lot more complex than that, right? This is, again, the, we're moving on the road to equity. And that means we have to sustain and continue to nurture these conversations and the professional learning opportunities. Um, so, you know, working and educating the teachers, as we talked about in school, and then we talked about outside of school, continuing to work and support the parents. Uh, and then number three, right? Comprehensive school policies. So if your, your school doesn't have a standalone sexual orientation and gender identity policy, why not? You know, that these policies have now been around for 10 years uh, or more. Um, and uh, now, you know, even organizations like St. Albert Public that have had these policies, um, uh, time to revisit them. Right. A lot has changed in 10 years. Right. Like, do these policies reflect non-binary identities? Right. Are they, you know, are they uh, uh, relevant in supporting students who are transitioning? And are they addressing the, you know, the the intersections of difference as well, uh, importantly? So we've, you know, we've learned a lot in that space of 10 years. So it's a good time to revisit and revise your policies. And and again, you know, we haven't even touched on the Catholic school uh, environment at all. Right. Where these policies are still, you know, largely invisible, but policies matter. Policies signal support, uh, not only to students and, and parents, uh, maybe who are choosing a school, um, but also to staff, right? So that policies say that we expect you to do this work and we're going to support you to do this, this work. So policies, um, they matter and they're a way also to hold school, uh, schools accountable, um, you know, to their policies. And then lastly, um, all about bringing visibility and inclusion into uh, the school environment. So we, you know, we're coming up here uh, in about a month into uh, Pride Month in June. And so this is, a, again, a great opportunity for schools to be involved and show support. Little things like flying, a, you know, a rainbow flag, um, you know, on your flagpole, getting kids doing rainbow chalk art, right, or murals or having events, activities, bringing guest speakers in. And it shouldn't be limited to a day, right? Or, or you know, um, but it should be um, showing, right? This is a time where we, 
we really show our support and then you know we're hoping that that support carries through throughout the rest of the year but it's it's a it's a time to come together to you know educate to celebrate but also to bring visibility to what too often right is an experience of of invisibility and so also to connect to the larger pride celebrations in your community and and it becomes an important time for uh, those LGBTQ2 plus youth in your schools to know what kind of community resources and events are um, available, right? Pride can be celebrated at any age and at any stage uh, in the school system, right? From kindergarten to, to grade 12 to, to outreach, all in very, you know, age appropriate ways. Now there are excellent resources and books and materials and videos to be able to talk about this. And we know, right? Like, Kids want to talk about this because it reflects their lives, it reflects their their identities, and you know even um, you know the the new Canadian census that just came out um, for the first time ever that asked questions on on trans and non-binary identities, right? Showed us some you know pretty remarkable things that you know for youth in the ages of fourteen to twenty five, they are seven times more likely to identify as trans or non-binary than older adults age 75 plus, right? Like this is the new reality. And when I go into schools, I like to remind them and tell them the future is non-binary. And so how are you gonna be uh, able to address the new reality uh, of the young people who are in our schools today, right? And it's scary because there's a lot of work to do, right? When we think about how, how binary uh, schools actually are in almost, you know, many of their everyday kind of practices that have been invisible for so long about how we organize students, even in elementary boys and girls over here, right. Or the boys only play these sports or the girls only play these sports or are right. And to our washrooms, to our locker rooms, to our sports teams, right. Et cetera. To even, we know from a lot of educational research to even in our classrooms who teachers are more likely to call on, for questions, right? That we yeah. know that they're more likely to call on boys than they are on girls. And so we have these, you know, really artificial uh, gender divisions. And we, we've seen a backlash to so many of these issues, particularly uh, in the United States and with the, the don't say gay, right, laws. And I like to also remind people that those same don't say gay laws were alive and well here in Alberta for many, many years that put particular restrictions around um, talking about sexual orientation in schools. Again, that's a, still a huge myth and something I hear a lot about that somehow educators or principals or administrators still think that they need to notify parents when they're talking about L, uh, LGBTQ issues. And that's a complete fallacy. There is no notification needed. The only time you need notification is when you're talking about human sexuality across the spectrum. Right, but someone's sexual orientation and gender identity is not the same thing as human sexuality. Yeah. Right. Sexuality and identity are two very different things. And they're two things mm -hmm. we all have, but they're different. And so they get conflated. And what it does is it it it's harmful and it's and it's stereotypical and prejudicial because all you are doing is complete conflating LGBTQ identities with sexual behaviors and practices. Right. And we are much more complex than uh, that. Right. And that is, yeah. um, again, goes back to uh, anti-gay laws and has a whole strong history of 
stigmatization, pathologization, deviance, and, and criminalization. And so we should not ever be accepting educators um, who continue to perpetuate that misinformation and stereotype. And that means somebody's not educating them on the, the truth of the law in Alberta. And so still so often, you know, we're seeing what I call these don't say gay laws and policies along with don't say they, right? Where this is attack on trans and non-binary young people mm -hmm. and their identities. And we're seeing that in the backlash to inclusion in sports and restrooms. And so we need to be very cognizant and aware of what's happening in the United States and in other countries because, right, um, it can happen here and it has happened here. And so we need to be very mindful that the rights and the protections that so many of these brave young people have uh, fought for don't roll backwards. And we've already learned this lesson in Alberta around GSAs that have those rights and protections rule went backwards under the UCP government and Bill 8, right? They didn't strip them away entirely, probably because they knew they couldn't, but they weakened them. And, you know, you weaken something again with continually plans eventually to remove it altogether. So we need to be vigilant. We need to be vocal, but I'm also very hopeful because I see the young people out there in our community who are identifying in greater numbers more and more than ever. And, and my message would be, you are the future, you are the change, you are the educators and um, never underestimate the power that you have. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, love it so much. And I could talk about this all day, but unfortunately we are running out of time. Um, so I'm going to hop into <sighs> Queer Joy. Um, I have two quick ones. One, I started watching the book of Boba Fett, finally, and it's so, so good. It's a Star Wars thing. Kelsey, you look confused. <laughs> My partner watches it. I'm confused as to why it took you that well, long. Well, because I was waiting for it to be done so I could watch it all, and then, like, other life mm. stuff came up, so that's why... Um, and then my other one is my cat is coming to live with me this weekend because um, she's That's very since exciting. I moved out she's been with my mom so now she's moving in here and I'm very excited to have my kitty back. So yeah, wow, so yeah. fun. So that's mine. Um, my queer joy is we get to go into a school next Friday for the first time since COVID to hang out with. 100 kids at a GSA event, which is super, super exciting. Um, also, like this whole the future is non binary. That's like, that's like, I was like, Becca, I know I Becca saw, your saw face. Yeah. me like, like <laughs> because like that is like the quote of the, the century. Like, I'm we're writing that everywhere. That's going to be like the new out loud motto. We'll credit you, Chris. <laughs> no, no, but like not, that future is non binary. It's, it's not, not oh. my phrase at all, but yeah, get it on t shirts. Right? like perfect, make a perfect t-shirt right? because yeah because it it addresses everything about everything right it's like you don't it's not even like the future isn't like non-binary people it's just the future is non-binary we don't need those limits anymore exactly let's get rid of them oh i love it yeah wow um so my my queer joy is is lately is mr finnegan oh. so oh He's uh, just turning six months, so he's a he's a handful, but he he lives his life with, you can see, <laughs> lots of joy and lots of love, and reminds me, you know, every day, right, about getting outside and 
you know, living your life with abandon and, you know, affection. And then, you know, the other thing that's bringing me lots of, of joy these days is just the, you know, the increasing visibility and representation of LGBTQ youth in media, uh, you know, shows I'm really enjoying Heartstopper and, um, you know, and just to, I, I keep thinking back and I think probably why so many adults love those shows is because it's the hope and the possibility of everything we didn't have when we went to school, when 100%. we were growing up, yeah. right? Around those representations yeah. and to be able to, you know, find love and, and community when you're meant to, right? When you're growing up and not feeling like you, you had to miss your whole adolescence and all those pivotal moments because you were hiding and because it wasn't, wasn't yeah. safe. So, um, you know, let's, let's keep the representation going and, uh, you know, in novels and books and to, on television, because right. That that's unstoppable and that motivates and that celebrates other people to live, you know, truly and, uh, authentically. So, yeah. Um, and, and all the work that, you know, you're all doing is, is so critically important. I was thinking today about this talk and, uh, just thinking about back to, you know, my experience growing up in St. Albert in Paul Kane high school in the 1980s. And just to think that, um, you know, out loud wasn't even imaginable, right. You might as well, it might as well have been on the moon. And I think about, you know, we had queer kids absolutely. And, and I remember specifically, you know, and we were the only high school in the public district at the time. So it was a large high school. And I remember, you know, there might've been one gay kid who was labeled. And uh, then one day he just disappeared. Right. And nobody, I, to this day, I don't know whatever happened to him. I don't even know if he's alive or if he made it, but it was just yeah. the silence and the invisibility. And that taught you the message that, you know, you just had to hide and you had to just try to graduate and then hope that the world got better right after that and that's why we work so hard right to change that narrative and to change that message and to have a pride flag hanging over a school never underestimate how important right those little um symbols of uh, visibility and representation um you know can be so you know here's to uh, out loud and and everyone else is doing all of this amazing work in the community because you know sometimes when we're in the thick of the work we don't realize how important it is or how impactful it is. So keep going. Happy, happy early pride. There we go. Woo. What a note to end on. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, you two. And also Finnegan for being a very good boy. There we go. <laughs> uh, be kind to yourself and others. And we will see you next week. Bye. You bet. Thanks again for the invite. Cheers. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>